So next Wednesday, October 23rd, we're going to bring it to you live. Multifamily Foundation Podcast is ready to launch. Imagine if you could not fail. If the foundation of your multifamily business had a blueprint that was built by the best. Well, this is what the Multifamily Foundation Podcast gives you. We're going to bring you actionable content with tools to strengthen your multifamily business. From finding deals to raising money to asset management, we will give you a formula for success. Now, this comes with entrepreneurship. It comes with lifestyle. It comes with building yourself so you're ready to take down whether it's a four unit or a $25 million deal. We're going to bring you the resources to make that happen. Are you ready to build your foundation? If you are, listen in. Let's do this. This is the Real Estate Foundation, your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. So before we dive into the show, we wanted to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there. It's always great to have you dive in with us on all these great topics we were to have able to have. And if you want to hear more about us, go to yourusiholdings.com. You can find everything about us from projects we're working on, more about our team members, how we break it up, and all the resources we offer. And if you want to invest, learn more about investing with us there. Also, make sure to check out our multifamily meetup if you're local here in New Jersey. We run the New Jersey Multifamily Investment Meetup, and it happens to be every second Tuesday of the month uh, here in North Central Jersey. So if you're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, make sure to check it out. And lastly, if you want to learn more about investing in apartment buildings, go to multifamilyfoundation.com. All right, check out the show. And hello again, welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy Wednesday. We are excited to have you and it's going to be a great show. Happy to have on Chris Jackson, a friend and a fellow in apartment investing multifamily syndicator. So Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jason. Well, thanks for coming on the show. He is busy, so we had to push him and say, Chris, come on, let's do this right now, So, because he's out there making it happen. So he's going to teach you guys how he's out there making it happen today. And for this, he's a principal and managing partner of Sharpline Equity. Chris specializes in finding underperforming multifamily assets with huge upside opportunities. Sharpline Equity currently has 300 units under ownership in their portfolio, and Chris has over 10 years' experience in all aspects of real estate investing from flipping, wholesaling, lending money, small multifamily to large multifamily. Chris began his career as a computer programmer and has 15 years in the tech industry and has been a partner at a Long Island tech firm for the last seven years. Uh, and Chris is in North Fork, Long Island with his uh, wife and two children. And he's an avid bird watcher and snowboarder. So Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to have you. And just to give, we'll give ourselves the elevator speech to, to the listeners. Give us a little run through about, you know, how you got started in real estate and why you made that leap from, the, from tech into real estate. Well, I've always been interested in real estate. Like I have, feel like I have a similar story to a lot of people when I, I'm, I'm in my uh, early forties now. And uh, when I was uh, about 21, I, I bought the Carlton Sheets stuff and uh, wanted to be a real estate investor. It was CDs then. And, uh, you know, for about 10 years, I didn't really do anything. I uh, maybe sent out some mailers and really didn't, I wanted to be a real estate investor, but I didn't take any real action. I kind of was a dreamer in my mind. And then at about 10 years ago, when I was uh, in my early 30s, I said, forget it, I got to make this happen or you're not allowed to think about this anymore. And I started to uh, uh, get into it. I hired a mentor and I 
I got my first small multifamily unit and just began to uh, build and build. And I started to do some other small multifamilies, did some flipping, did some wholesaling, and then uh, moved through into larger multifamily and syndicating. So yeah, I've, I've done the journey where I know where people get into the analysis paralysis and I was there for 10 years. <laughs> what was it that actually got you off the couch? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it was, I, I got to say, uh, I was disgusted with myself that I felt like I was just dreaming the whole time. You know, your wife's only going to listen to you for so many times to be like, are you going to do anything about it? You're not allowed to talk about it if you're not doing anything about it anymore. And I just said, I'm making this happen. And it took me a year to get my first deal. And little did I know that I was getting into multifamily in 2010. I didn't, we didn't know where the market was going to go. It was a different type of market then, but I wish I'd bought more then. And, but yeah, it was mainly just, I'm going to not give up until I get a deal. And I ultimately did uh, end up uh, tasting the multifamily uh, side See, of my first deal. And that's awesome. Cause sometimes it, you're better off knowing what you don't know. Right. Because if you, if you knew like what a bad time that it, everybody was perceiving it as you probably would have said, well, then I'm just going to hold off until it get, gets good oh, yeah. and all those other things right now. And you, you dove in, you found a mentor. Do you think that's just a great way for people to dive in is just get someone on their sideline? Yes. I mean, uh, I, I hired a local mentor, so he was really instrumental in me getting my first deal. Uh, I was able to bounce ideas off. It was really like more of a personal mentor too, where I could call up uh, once a week or whenever I needed to. And he also saw that I was taking action. So he would made himself available to me. And that was very helpful to understand the base core knowledge I needed to make, to not sound like an idiot, which we all can. And we all have to be prepared to sound like idiots in yeah. the beginning. Uh, you have to be okay with that. But he allowed me to stack my knowledge and get the confidence to uh, get that first deal. That was really helpful. That's awesome. Do you remember the, the details on that first deal? Like, how'd you find it? And you know, like, not even specifics, but it multiply, like, how'd you find it? And what was it that you said, okay, I'm going to take this one down? So I had uh, a certain amount of capital. I raised money for my first deal, too, from friends and family. Uh, so I raised money. Uh, I had a certain amount of capital. I wanted five units uh, or above so that I could get uh, commercial. And even though I was paying cash, I uh, was looking to refi into a commercial loan later on. And uh, I drew a radius around a map of uh, six hours driving distance. I, I don't really have any intelligence other than to set uh, intelligence of why I did that other than to say I felt like six hours was somewhere I could get to in a day. Uh, picked a market. And then just went in that market. That one seemed the most stable. That was uh, that Syracuse, New York, I chose. And uh, went and looked for deals for a year and found one that uh, met my criteria and made sense with the amount of money I had and uh, bought it. So this is great. You raise money for your first deal. And there's probably a ton of people today just saying, I, I don't have the capital on my side. Tell us how those talks went and maybe some tips that, for people that if they haven't done a deal before, how, how, how'd you talk to investors and just have those conversations without really having the tried and true track record yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been through it where I didn't even have a, a flip under my belt to use as like an experience uh, bullet point to say I had experience. It was, I'm doing this, this is my first deal and I, and I need to raise money for it. It, it was a long effort. It was a result of me working through with my mentor and knowing what to say. It was working through with investors with uh, uh, test deals, if you will, some deals that didn't work out. And I would talk them through like, uh, I want to do this deal. I'm going to buy it for this amount of money. This is how we would work it out. Those deals didn't turn out and they were happy that I stuck to my price 
And then when the real one came along that, that worked out, they were ready. Uh, it took longer than I thought it would, and I needed to get comfortable. Also, I, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, so I had to get over that. Uh, it took me a lot of time to help personal growth to get over that, but I just, it was the slog, man. I just, I, I pushed through to do it, and it took me about a year. That's awesome. And when you're having these conversations, do you recommend starting the conversations even prior to even searching for deals or what, oh, what's, a, what's a good way to go? Definitely that way? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it depends on, uh, I think your comfort level with people. If you're a, like, a, I, I don't like this term, but I'm just going to use it because everybody can resonate with it. Like the natural born salesman, I am not. The yeah. natural born salesman, I think can like go talk about deals right away and they're just going to have a way of working with people. But if you're not like that, I actually recommend just talking to people early and often and just fumbling through it and getting better at it and just talking about markets and why you're doing multifamily and just get that more concrete in your mind on how you're able to be a better relationship builder and salesman. Everybody thinks salesman's a bad word, but you have to do, you're offering a great opportunity to people. And I know that that's everybody, what everybody uses as the term like i'm offering an opportunity but you have to know how to believe that and come across to people with true authenticity about how you're connecting and going to be a steward of their money and as that it's a good in, uh, investment and that takes time if you're an introvert yeah so, i love that right because <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. You don't want the stress of the, the deal, even if it's a great deal to be on you that you need money. You want to just tell people and, and teach people the value of, of investing in these type of transactions. And then when you find the opportunity, great. Now they know the value because doing it the other way, yeah, it could be stressful beyond belief. I, so, had a, I, I actually had that opportunity that you, that you just uh, brought up, a great deal. And I wasn't ready for large raises and we weren't able to raise the money because I wasn't ready. Huh. That's it was, it was yeah, too yeah. much, it was too much pressure. I wasn't there yet in that level of raise. And I, I, all I needed was maybe another half a year to get there, but I didn't have all the, the arrows in my quiver yet to do it. We weren't, we didn't lose any money or anything like that in the, uh, we weren't in contract, but I had a deal right there and, uh, we wow. weren't, we weren't there yet. I had needed to put more work in first. Yeah. Those are great lessons. Thanks for that. Now moving forward to today, how's your business evolved? What, what are you looking like today? I mean, uh, right now, I mean, we've, we have 300 units. Our largest is 174 units. We have a 60 unit. Uh, we are very close to getting into contract on one that's close to 100 units in a new market. Uh, we're look, we have been best and final on 300 units recently. Uh, we don't look much at under 100 units anymore unless it's something really special. But yeah, we've, de uh, we've definitely moved up through to get into and, and feel comfortable uh, to finding the opportunities in the large multifamily space. What have been some of the aspects that, that have allowed you to now feel comfortable in this much larger space going from the five units all the way up to now 100, 170? Well, uh, we, we ha I have a bunch of experience under my belt for various flips and working with investor money, uh, syndicating a smaller deal, like a 12 unit we did and sold, and then uh, syndicating a, a 60 unit, and then ultimately being ready and understanding and have all the knowledge ready for a large raise like we did for our 174 unit, which was $5 million. So we were ready for it. Yeah, I love that. So you're, you're chipping away, you're building, you're building upon everything you're doing, you're growing and, and you're just using everything to your advantage to get ready for the big deals like we talked about, right? And now 
when you're looking at these deals, you're out of state, you're, you know, you're, you're still in Long Island, you're looking now um, down in other markets. What, what are some of the key metrics or the performance indicators you're really trying to target on to say, okay, this is a transaction I want to go after? I mean, we, we are looking for strong markets. Atlanta has uh, some great indicators, obviously, and has been for a while, population growth, job growth. Uh, and we're looking for now even periphery markets around uh, uh, Atlanta as well because they're exhibiting those signals too. And then in a deal, uh, it depends what type of business model we're going to go after. If you're looking for a stabilized deal, uh, you know, can how much can you raise rents? Is there an, a value add play? It's hard these days to day one walk in with these seven or eight caps. So you do have to know what you're doing that you feel absolutely confident that you're going to be able to raise rents in a uh, specific period of time. So those are the things that we're looking for. But we would also consider, uh, you know, bigger lifts like that use bridge loans and whatnot, where you are taking an asset that's older and really adding the capex that's required to get the building to uh, maybe jump up a class like new windows, new roofs, things like that, because we're all running into older vintage product now. 1970 vintage is 50 years old. Yeah, that's right. And when you're, when you're talking to investors, do you find that there's different class of investors who are different or who are comfortable with different types of, of multifamily assets from, you know, like the, the heavy lifts to the more stabilized, are you finding you're, you're, you're pocketing certain groups of investors for different types of projects? Yeah, you have to get to know your investors well and understand where their tolerance is. Um, and you also have some investors that may want to just diversify within you on various projects. They, one might want to be long-term hold cash flow. Uh, the other might, and the same investor says, hey, let's go do that one where we are uh, going to have more of a two to three year hold, maybe a five year hold, but it's really meant to be massive lift, massive returns at the end. What have been some of the most productive ways, and you have a lot of great ways for, for finding deals out there in, in such a such a hot market right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to the relationship building skills, uh, you know, you you can rely on certain tech techniques to find deals, but really what you have to use as your root is, uh, we have to be rooted in is your ability to network with people. So you, you, you have to, from investors to making contacts with your brokers, you have to be able to develop a relationship and that takes time if you don't have that skill set. And that's what I had to work on myself. Looking at, you know, if someone's listening here, maybe they've done a couple small deals, but they're trying to move into a new market. What, give us some points that they, when you're talking to a broker for the first time or trying to get that conversation that, that you're trying to get across to show your value and show that you have uh, the experience. Yeah. So, I mean, when you go into a new market and you want to show them that you're not just like some, there's a lot of interest in multifamily. So how do you stand out? You stand out by doing your research on the market and really triangulating your conversations with various sources, meaning go call your property managers first in the area, get intel from them, ask them questions about which areas do you see growth? Which areas are you seeing areas that maybe we should be concerned about? And then triangulate that against uh, every one of each other, get intel, learn about the projects that are happening in by the economic development committees, talk about those things with the property managers again, just so that you have like a two or three level up in conversation for when you talk to the broker, you can say, I'm looking for these properties in these areas because, and then you start saying, I, I know that this area is growing over here and we have that project going on. And I'm seeing that 
uh, some of those properties are selling for higher than other areas. You just, you're going to stand out that you have done your research in the market and that you're somebody that's, that sounds like they can take deals down. Yeah. I love that. What are some of the things now when you're at deals that you're looking for today that you weren't necessarily looking for two, three, four years ago? So I'm going to, I'm going to say that uh, I'm looking at something advanced. So I don't recommend this for a, a beginner person. This comes from years of experience and I'm ready for it. But right now I'm look two years ago, I would not have looked at bridge loans. I was scared of them probably incorrectly. I got to tell you, cause I've seen some people do really well when they execute on them correctly. Uh, now I'm ready for bridge loans all day, but you got to be very, very careful with the, where we are in the market cycle. You got to know what you're doing but I can see the value in taking older buildings and doing the right type of CapEx in the right area with the right team to get your rents up and make the uh, asset uh, worth much more where you're going to do some of the nasty stuff that other investors aren't going to want to do. But that is pretty advanced pro league stuff. Can you give us some of the examples of the CapEx projects that you're saying, okay, this is what we want to tackle to get the value back. And conversely, maybe some CapEx projects you think you won't take on because it's not going to give you that value. Sure. Uh, so everybody knows about the, the raise rent play. So that's almost just like a base standard now. So if you yeah. don't have a rent increase play going on, it's, that's just pretty much default at this point. However, uh, Right now, I think you, people are getting premiums on the following when they do it right. Uh, even though you're not getting it from an NOI perspective, I believe you're getting it on what's called a price per pound hmm. uh, increase, like just from an evaluation of the, the fact that you have a 1970 building that normally has a certain level of deferred maintenance. You now are doing these CapEx things that I'm going to mention that enhance the, the, the value just alone without like, and those are roofs, uh, windows and underground piping, your main line piping, galvanized piping on pre-1980 building across the United States is starting to fail. And you people, uh, the water bills are getting all over the place and there's leaks and people are doing whack-a-mole fixes. And nobody really wants to do the scary stuff of water main fixes. Hmm. They're expensive. They're tough to do. But... If you serve, we we just did it actually, and uh, it was about a hundred grand. And what now we get to do is a 1970 building. We get to go to the next investor and say, "Hey, Mr. Next Investor, we've owned this for five to ten years, but you're getting something that's going to last another hundred years now because we made it PVC. Oh, by the way, we have new roofs on. You just take away objections from your next investor. Huh, I love that. And you're going to get your you're going to get you you go to your banks and 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 future invest the future buyer, your future investor buyer, and that they're going to, they're going to reward you for that because they don't have to do it. Yeah. That's a great point too. Cause you think about it, you know, and the, these prices can be so arbitrary because they can get three, if you don't do it, you know, they can get three quotes out there and one guy, you'd be like, yeah, it's $400,000 <laughs> when you know it could be done for a hundred thousand bar, but then now you're yeah. trying to negotiate a price on some, some fictitious number there compared to them. If they just had to, you know, go back and you leave them 50 of the units, you know, not that haven't been renovated in classic stance, but you say, well, you guys can renovate it however you want. You put a thousand hours in, you want to put 6,000 hours in, go nuts, you know, however you want to do it. That's more concrete and leaves them more focused on that value. add. So that, that's, that's right. really notes. I appreciate that. And, and roofs right now are getting done a lot by a lot of investors. Like people know that they have to do new roofs. So, it, that is also becoming kind of a standard. How old are the roofs? Do I have to do the roofs? You can get 
I mean, these are hundred thousand quarter million dollar, sometimes five hundred thousand dollar roofs. So I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound flippant, but people are like, do roofs, you get it, you do it. Yeah. But we're, but when you get into like the windows and even the mainline piping, that's kind of stuff that people are like, I don't even want to touch it. So if you do it and then serve it up to the next investor, they're like, oh, thank you, I didn't know I had to think about that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And water, I mean, it, not for nothing, water can be one of the, the highest expenses for you on a property. And you don't even know that you're having problems if you get into a property that's got leaks and it had leaks before. You don't even know you have a, you have a problem with your water until you, until you really know you have a problem with your water. So that, that is one area for multifamily investors that you should get an idea in the area for your class of property and for your unit mix size, how what's the average uh, per unit per year water bill that you should be seeing. And if you see something that, that's a percentage higher than that, uh, that looks off, you now have to question what's going on with the pipes. Yeah, great points <laughs> right there. Yeah, I love that, I love that. Now going forward, um, what are you doing to focus on your business right now to grow your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting very strict on how we handle our uh, lead flow for, for projects. You know, we're out there uh, being consistent with calling our brokers, getting the, the pipeline filled, but then processing the deals in a methodical way so that our team is just moving. We use Trello. Uh, Trello is like a card-like column system, and we have leads that come in, add them, and then our team has to process them through, and we have various phases to move them through to LOI and follow up. Um, and are we close? You can spend a lot of time underwriting. And that's something that I think a lot of people do. Also, when you're an introvert, you're going to sit behind a, a spreadsheet and, and think you're busy. Got it. And, yeah. you know, because it's like fun and you're doing it. But you're, are you really doing anything? You already knew the deal sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like what? it's time to move on. Uh, but you spend too much time on it. And then the deal does end up not working out or you're not even close on price and you feel like you wasted time. Time management in the lead flow. It's really, really important, especially in a competitive environment. What, what kind of returns are you trying to strike to, for you to go in and even uh, present an LOI? I mean, uh, it would depend, but let's just say we're looking at a somewhat stabilized deal that uh, is meant for a longer term hold. Sure, yeah. I, I want, we want to see some, uh, after year one, maybe year two, we want to see some like north of 7% cash on cash, depending on the class, and then annualized returns of around 15 Awesome. Awesome. I'm not yeah. saying we won't do a property that that has 12% annualized. Uh, it just has to have the right signature and, and things like that. And the, the investors have to be on board with it. Sure. And what part of your business right now are you trying to redefine compared to what you were doing on prior deals? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the, uh, it's our ability and confidence to execute on projects that I think we, that would be more of the, the bridge loan to refi scenario. We wouldn't even look at those a few years ago. It would just kind of be like, it would have to be, it would almost have to be like a double home run or something for us to even like consider it. Um, and now we are looking at ones that like, we, we know we can accomplish the goal that we're looking for and refi and, and get uh, principles, uh, principal back for our investors and, and then refi and keep it as a hold in our portfolio. Just really weren't looking at that before. And uh, but we're more confident that we can handle that, even with where we are in the market cycle, where we have to make sure that we are okay if there is some sort of blip. What, what are some of the, so just with the context there that, you know, we're, we're at this point in the market, how are you protecting yourself in that scenario? 
Yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to, uh, you have got to run your scenarios of what ifs. If you go two years or two years from now and cap rates are higher and uh, LTVs are lower, what does the bad day look like? Yeah. So you and run your stress you test, seeing where you yeah. fall. Yeah. Well, what do you, what if, what if you have to cut uh, rent growth? What if you have to give more concessions for a year or two? What does it look like? And, and, and be in markets that you feel can serve, that can uh, mitigate that risk as, be- risk as best as possible. Be in strong markets. Yeah, that's awesome. What's, it, what's a lesson that's come to mind that you've learned as you've progressed um, through buying multifamily? Uh, through buying multifamily, it's uh, just a, it's going to be a cliche. So I'm going to try to unpack it fast so it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. Got it. Uh, but it's so true. It's like, it's a people business. So that's usually where it goes. People are like, oh, it's a people business. What does that mean? Let me unpack that. Sure. Really, it's like, I, I can't stress it enough. You have got to work on your people skills and you have to build your network. You have got to spend the time with your investors. You have got to be calling them on your car, car rides home. You have to be going out to dinner with them. You need to be going out to dinner and calling and getting to know your brokers bankers, debt people, like things get done by multifamily investors when they have a good crew around them for partners, vendors, bankers, uh, property managers, investors. And that takes a lot of people relationship building. So that's what I mean by people. It's a people business. And I think we're losing that a little bit with the wonderfulness of our technology that we have today. It ha- how is tech going to affect us the ne- in your mind over the next two, three, four years? I think it's going to help if you just understand that you have to be old school and new school at the same time. Be old school on your, your relationship building. Mm-hmm. Use technology to reach out to people that you never would have known before and brought into your world, but then go old school to build the relationships. Then uh, use technology for your information management so you can be faster and process more things and then also use it for, uh, you know, tenant, uh, tenant advertising, uh, tenant uh, relationship building, community building. There's all these technological tools out there that we use, um, you know, with my tech background and our projects that I think give us a leg up against our competition. Can you give us one example? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I can't tell you exactly how we do it, but I can tell you that we advertise and, and push for, Uh, the way we advertise for tenants and the way we process the large number of tenant inquiries we get uh, effectively allows us to, to more confidently ramp up rent increases by, uh, by, by tenant terms. So you can do a premium, you can have five down units and do a premium upgrade and uh, not feel like, Oh no, do we have enough tenant interest? That's huge. You're basically, you're testing the metrics just to make sure that it's going to align with you instead of just putting out there like, I'm going to try and do a 25 hour rent bump and hope because this other property a mile down the road. That's great. So for anybody out there who's got your tech background, that's, if you can learn that process, that makes everything better. Cause you, the, the numbers aren't going to lie to you, right? You're going to have the numbers. They're going to push what you can do and you can just meet it by what you're going to perform with. Yeah, I mean, there's, and you have to track all these metrics. I mean, with the tech background, you understand what works certain markets, certain things are going to work, certain types of advertising, certain type of tenant processing is going to work. You just need your metrics and be looking at them to say, let's spend more time and money on these tracks that are working. What what is the next, what's the goal of Sharpline over the next three or five years? Are are you, what what is the big focus here? 
So everybody says a unit count. I, I don't like a unit count because I feel like then you feel like you failed. Like what if you if you have a thousand units and you hit eight hundred, you're you're not stoked. Um, and then you go start buying stuff that maybe doesn't make sense just to hit your unit count. Absolutely. I'm just yeah. going to say that we want we are building our portfolio in the southeast. We are bullish on the southeast, uh, Georgia and specific Georgia specifically, and uh, you know South Carolina is a great market. The Carolinas are a great market. These are all competitive markets. Uh, but we will be building our portfolio in the Southeast. Oh, that's amazing. Wait, wait, do you have a routine in your day that allows you to be most productive? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I try to do uh, outreach calls to owners or broker calls in the afternoon because that's when they're more likely to answer your call and have more of like lengthy conversations as opposed to the morning where everybody's busy and feeling like you want to get off the phone. Yeah. And in the morning, I try to keep that to the area where I got to be more analytical. And if I need to look at spreadsheets or research, I try to keep that in the morning so that I can do that focused and not be so distracted by my phone. Like everybody is. Yeah. I love that though. It's actually, it's contrary to a lot of people. A lot of people will say, well, the tougher thing would be to call owners. So do that first, but your point about them being rushed off the phone. I mean, that's great. You know, a lot of people just feel so stressed by the morning and they get to lunchtime to get after lunch and okay, I, I have a minute to breathe now and you catch them with that call. We all know that we're busy, like everybody is busy, but I think also everybody in the morning thinks they're busier than they are. And then all of a sudden it's three and sometimes you, you aren't as busy as you thought. And that's a good time to call owners. I love that. (laughs) You you have a company motto or some words you live by? Oh, words that I live by. Uh, Oh yes, I do actually. Uh, Optimism is underrated. I think that uh, I didn't grow up as an optimistic person. I have learned that from quite a few wonderful people in my life and how to become more optimistic in my life. And it it literally changes how you think about situations and how little things like an email comes in. Sometimes, yeah, like you can get angry at it and then you can react to it and now you created a bad situation or you can just be optim. You have an optimistic mindset and wondering what's the solution to this email that just made me angry. You know, you like, it's just the different way you frame how you solve problems, very serious problems sometimes, and also how you get through momentum dips and you gain momentum. So I think uh, optimism is extremely underrated in, in, in any business. Yeah, solution focused. I love that. I think um, I saw something from like the Daily Stoic or something. It was like everybody has the same external um, bad things that can happen to them. It's not the, the bad things that happen to them. It's how you react, right? It's that yeah. same context, right? So yeah, absolutely we, awesome. We think, and I think part of that is we think that when bad things happen or frustrating things happen, that the successful people out there, uh, like that we're comparing ourselves to, that those things didn't happen to them. Yeah. Oh, if this this wouldn't happen to me if I had done something better, if I was smarter. So like, that's when you get hard to get into like the negative mindset. So you get, you have to realize that that all this stuff is also happening to them. And they just a lot of times push through, but also I think a lot of them have gotten through it through uh, optimism. And uh, I've definitely found that to be a change in my life over the past many years. Well, Chris, this has been awesome. If there's an investor listening today that that's just stuck in the sidelines and just trying to get going, what's, what's an actual step they should take right now to get themselves in the game? I would go to networking events and talk with people and shake hands with people and feel uncomfortable and be gentle with yourself about how you're not going to be perfect and you're not going to be Johnny handshake bro the whole night. Like it's going to feel off and you just that you just had a victory. Go there and get a victory and then stack your victories. 
go the next time and then shake hands with two people. Stack your victories. Yeah, that's some of the best advice we've had. Stack your victories, right? It's like, it's like that unit count where you can feel like failure because you get 800, which is still awesome, but you don't get 1,000, right? But like, yeah, that's, but you just, if you start stacking up these little victories, you know, they're not massive wins, but you look down the road and you have 50 little stacked victories. It is a massive win. So right. that's awesome, Chris. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. For people that want to learn more about you and your company, what's the best way to connect? Uh, go to our website, sharplineequity.com. And you can also go to our meetup that we have uh, every second Wednesday in Garden City, New York called Multifamily Unveiled. And uh, we talk about the details of multifamily. We try to dive into specific topics and go uh, very, very granular, which for some people, they like the, the fluffy highlight stuff, but we actually go topic super detailed. And uh, for some uh, that, that they really want to know about the details, which is what we want. Oh, it's awesome, man. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really great to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, a huge thank you to Chris Jackson. Thank you to all you listening. Again, when you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps everybody else find us as well. This is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Huge thank you to Chris Jackson. Have a great day. Bye okay. now. Mm-hmm.